Welcome to the Kinky Cast, a sexually explicit podcast. If you are under 18 years of age, stop the podcast now. This is episode 154 of our weekly exploration in the kinky world of BDSM and alternative relationships. Views expressed are not representative of the management of the kinky cast. We welcome guests with opposing viewpoints. Today, we bring you, Mr. Michael, and the state of kink, in middle America. Here's your host, The Beast. Thank you, Max. We're here tonight with Mr. Michael out of nearby Louisville, who's been at this for quite a few years now. He has quite a few interesting perspectives on party etiquette. And I'd like to welcome you, Michael. Thank you for joining us. Very glad to be here. You have an awesome voice for this. Oh, thank you. Have you done radio or television? No, I haven't. I've I've been told that before. I'm I'm not really sure because you know you always sound different than what it actually comes out on tape sounding. I I don't feel like I sound like myself. It's one of the smoothest voices we've had on the cast in quite a while. So. Tell me about Louisville. What is going on in that corner of the universe? Well, uh, we have a continuing community here that has been active for quite some time. The Louisville Munch is the sort of main group. I've been hosting that since 2007 in October. And uh, before that, it was previously managed and hosted by Miss Constance, who you have had on your show before. She started that group in 1997, and then she ran it for 10 years uh, handed it off to me. There had previously been uh, a few other groups in existence that were, of course, at that time before 1997, sort of down in the skulky shadows. Louisville Munch as a, as an entity just celebrated its 19th anniversary and we have never canceled or gone on hiatus. I, I'm imagining now we're one of the, you know, longer running munches definitely in the midwest i know some of these groups sort of come and go and um, we've we've stuck at it for quite a while i think 19 years may qualify you as one of the longest running in the nation it might i i haven't really done the research i'm i'm very proud of our record ours down here is running about the same same length of time maybe a couple of years longer but there's been some changes and hiatuses and we can't claim the uh, continuous uh, record that you do, and that's really Im- impressive. Well, it's important. It was always important to Miss Constance. It was always Im- important to me that uh, you know, e- even for instance, this month, you know, our our f- we always have a munch on the fourth Saturday, um, and that's sort of been the uh, the structure or the credo, if you will, of how I try to do things on a very predictable or repeating basis and i don't like to cancel and and move things it helps people in the community sort of know what's happening when that is certainly true i'm a big fan of the of the consistent time place and location locations have to change certainly but um i don't like to float around too much from venue to venue there have been a few other groups that that have um, sort of started, have come and gone, some of them that have started up recently. I mean, I don't know exactly how big Louisville Metro is uh, statistically. 
I want to say it's like a quarter of a million people because we have that river thing where, you know, we have a bunch (laughs) of people that live right across the river that don't always get counted in there. But um, half the city's on the other side of the Ohio River in Indiana. And we, um, I I think for a a town our size, we have a pretty thriving community. And and that consistency, I think, is part of it. You know, we're, we're not one of the, you know, the Chicago's or the Atlanta's where the city really needs to be served by five or six groups. We have sort of one major group. We used to have two. The other one was called the Paradox Group. They sort of packed up in 2009, 2011, somewhere in there. And some other groups have come sort of um, specific to certain niches or interests. But we've always tried to position Louisville Munch as the place that people find first. And then if you are interested in those specific things, then you can find them through us. But we're the one with the, you know, the big billboard and the the website. And, you know, people tend to find us first, I think. And now you also do play parties, don't you? We do. Back, let's see, since 2000, uh, 2009, I guess it was, which was just a couple of years after I took over Louisville Munch, I came to an agreement with one of the local bar owners. He ran a, a bar called Starbase Q, which was a gay bar. He didn't like to call it a gay bar because you know, he was open to everybody, but it was mostly a gay bar. He had a great basement space he allowed us to set up our stuff in and he didn't charge us for use of the space uh we would go there after some of the munches and and go down there and party we had some furniture down there to use and that had to end after a while he's now out of business but then i went looking for another space to go and have parties and i found a space on one end of town it was just a great great building and the community sort of came together to, it was a real fixer upper. The community came together to sort of help me get it ready for parties. And it's sort of legendary now with those of us that are kind of long in the tooth in the community, but it wasn't open for very long. Unfortunately, I had to shut that place down in 2011 at the behest of the fire marshal. <laughs> so oh, uh, we had to close doors on that one. And then we went for a period where we didn't have any place to play until uh, Ms. Constance and about five other people put together an organization called Fringe Elements, a nonprofit for the purposes of producing or creating a community space that we might be able to continue these parties. And they opened up, I forget which year it was, I think it was not too long after that or maybe 2012. Then uh, they had to move buildings for a, a zoning issue that they had and picked a new place on a different part of town. That was sort of a large open warehouse space. Well, in 2015, they decided to dissolve in June, and I knew that this place was going to go away, so I asked them. I basically went to their board and said, hey, you know, I used to run a dungeon. Would you let me have a crack at it? You know, take over the space, make the arrangements with the landlord. Maybe I can continue it. Maybe I can uh, make it financially feasible again and they did they let me take over the space and all of the items that were in it you know tables and chairs and all of the items that they had sort of wrangled to put this space together and i've been hosting parties after the munches at well it's the same location but the name has changed to remix so now we're remix in louisville and we have parties several times a month a few of those are Louisville Munch sponsored parties after our first Friday and our first Saturday Munch. 
Louisville now has uh, several play parties a month on a consistent basis. Yes. Well, aside from the sort of open play parties that we do, which are after the munches on the first Friday and first Saturday of the month, um, we also have a, a skill shop party on the second Saturday, a skill shop, sort of a um, open format teaching learning experience for people to share skills and learn new things. Then um, the third weekends, we sometimes have uh, parties produced by another person in a different part of Kentucky he sort of comes and does his uh, sponsors his parties here his name's Magic he's from uh, mostly in the Lexington Kentucky area so we alternate between his parties I'll sometimes do a party on uh, the third Saturday and we're mostly dark for the fourth weekend but in between then we also have a number of rope instructionals on Tuesdays and and um we have uh, games night and some sort of social time. We do uh, this Friday will be a ladies only party. We have sort of uh, another organization here in town, uh, KSD. They're sort of a, a female led relationships or femdom group, and they do parties here as well. Um, so you know, quite a variety, and not everything just on the weekends, but we try to serve or or have events that are of interest to all kinds of peoples for for littles for female dominance for ladies only we try to cover it all so you're drawing from lexington and southern indiana uh, besides your local uh louisville crowd there yeah i would say um most of that is uh, uh one one person coming from uh, i think he's actually from the georgetown kentucky area and Lexington has a space that they do parties. We just offer another one at a different time of month that will, you know, get some people out. So he, he brings all of them and, and they're happy to use our space. And it's, it's an interesting experience for some of them because I think that the space that they use in Lexington is, I know it's a little bit smaller and generally it's a, uh, it's a swing club that's, used for other purposes on sort of off nights, I guess. Uh, I, I, re- I remember those in environments, and there's definitely a different feel than a dedicated uh, kink club. Right. But Southern Indiana, for sure. Um, you know, Indianapolis has a number of other things going on these days. So, uh, you know, they're kind of occupied with a, a full calendar calendar of events up there. But in the badlands in between <laughs> Louisville and Indianapolis, we, we can uh, – we can pull a few people down. And, of course, right across the river is basically Louisville Metro anyways. Those people, you know, it's just a hop, skip across the river, and they're here. Just have to find a bridge, right? <laughs> right. And that hasn't been easy these days. But uh, I think our bridge projects are coming to a close now at the end of this year. My last pass-through was just a bare glimpse of the city as I was on the way to Columbus, Ohio, uh, back in July, I think it was, and came back through the worst, one of the worst rainstorms I have ever tried to drive in. So I'd seen none of the city on the way back at all. Well, that's unfortunate, especially now with the, uh, with the bridges and they've, they've, uh, the waterfront project that they've had here. It's really becoming quite a beautiful city. Well, it always has been a city with a lot of potential. And I'm glad to see that it's uh, re- re- reviving and thriving. Surely. Now, you wrote on FET a writing called Dungeon Culture at Louisville Munch Play Parties. And I was looking that over. There's some interesting things that are common sense, but not so common to many people going to their first play parties. And 
as I'm sure you can attest, our numbers are exploding with new people showing up every month to our event. And we serve a national audience, and I'd like to cover some of those for our people that may not have access to a local group and are planning to attend a event a little further away from them and give them a little uh, heads up so they feel a little more comfortable when they get to the to the party. Oh, certainly. And and all of these spaces tend to run a bit differently. Even, you know, a difference between a party that I will host on the second Saturday will feel a little bit different than a different party, you know, the one that's sponsored by someone else, someone who comes in to sort of produce the party. And that's, um, you know, it's, it's kind of in the nuances of it, I suppose. And when you've been to enough play parties and been in enough other people's play spaces, you sort of get a feeling for how different some of these things can be. And I wanted to use the word culture rather than rules. You know, we had, we do have rules, but culture is something that's, um, it's, it's something that can't really be enforced by the producer of the party or whoever's hosting it, but it's something that they're relying on the other attendees to help foment to, you create a culture that they feel is either either accepting to people or is welcoming is safe low pressure you know something that you can't you can't put that on a rule sheet you will be friendly to people you know <laughs> um but it is something that i i wanted to put out there of what to expect because understand that i was also at the time taking this space over from a different organization and not only did they have different rules but they had a different culture and i wanted to sort of put forth of what i was hoping that people could expect at our events and what i was trying hard to sort of cultivate as the new culture something that i thought was going to be the most comfortable the most welcoming and allow people to have a night out to do their kink in a place that that they could really do their thing while everybody else was also doing their thing. So I just came up with a few points that I put out there that people could read and say, okay, this is, this is how he wants the field to be, or this is how the culture's where the culture's headed. I was reading it and I thought you did a fantastic job on giving people a feel for what to expect and how to interact with others in a successful way without coming off as heavy handed at all. Again, you know, I, I have been to places where, you know, usually there's some sort of um, disclaimer or waiver that you have to sign and, um, you know, and then you have to read over their 64 rules uh, and it can be a little daunting, I think, for a person first coming in, not just to remember all those rules, but to um, to feel like, oh, this is a really, you know, restrictive place. I need to walk on eggshells. I need to watch where I step. And and I would rather that my rules reside on one sheet of paper, you know, just sort of the the general ones. We can deal with the nuances later. But even if you have good etiquette in a in a play space, um, you know, as far as personal interactions, there there isn't a whole lot of roadmap for how to play in a dungeon considerately, you know, to be welcoming, to be nice, to mingle, meet people, make other people feel welcome if it's their first time. That's the easy part. But 
managing a dungeon full of people who all have different interests, styles of play, uh, reasons for playing, put them all in one space and say, yeah, go ahead and do your thing that your scene doesn't live in a vacuum. It's one, it's part of one big thing that we're trying to do that I thought could use some pointers because we were having some issues with that. You have uh, people in a coming to a play space and they're coming with a, with a certain headspace and that headspace can sometimes overflow a little bit, I think. Sure. Well, for instance, the, you know, the separation of, play and social areas you know i've been to play parties where if you walk into the area where people are playing it's it's almost like church you know there there is no talking there is nothing going on it is play and you hush your mouth and that isn't necessarily what we're trying to to put forward here and i don't want anybody to expect that to be the case but there is a limit to how much socializing is appropriate around people who are trying to have a nice scene. So that's kind of one of my first points is there's there's no play in the social area, for instance. And if you're going to be out in the play area that you're not socializing, it's okay to talk softly a little bit to the person you're standing next to. That's fine. But those people have the right of way and they're trying to be in a space with each other and your chatter is not going to be very good for that space. So that's one of the first things is play over here. And the cackling laughter just can be a real, a real buzzkill. It can. It can pull somebody out of a really nice space. And it doesn't take long for a small congregation of folks standing in a dungeon intently watching a scene to, you know, go off the rails and be that group that's being disruptive to, uh, you know, erupt in laughter and disturb other things that are going around them when they're only about 10 feet away. So. You know, I, I like it when people can, you know, they, they sort of treat it not like church, but more of like a theater performance, you know, where you're free to watch, of course, and it's okay to have a little soft word with the person standing next to you, but you certainly wouldn't be disruptive in the audience. There's a limit to how much chatter. Uh, not only that, but you might be disturbing the other people trying to watch, and you definitely would not address the actors directly from the audience. And the outrageous cardinal sin would be to go up on stage yourself in the middle of a performance. So if you think of it that way, you know, you're free to watch. You can chat a little bit at a reasonable level, but you don't disrupt. You don't interact with the people that are playing and you definitely don't get in their space. I kind of like that analogy to the to the theater. It's one of the better ones I have heard. I've heard the church one before and I thought that ring a little pretentious and constraining but the theater one's a good one and i did steal that one from miss constance i don't know if she stole it from someone else but uh, when she said that it kind of clicked like yeah that's a really good way to explain um and that's not every play party some play parties are like church you hush your mouth <laughs> um, but in the type of party that i wanted to have and the culture that i wanted in this space at remix I didn't want it to feel like that, but this was a good way to explain where I thought that those rough limits were. You know, if you can check yourself and say, you know, would I be this loud at a performance? No, I probably wouldn't. Then I should probably quiet down a little bit or as simple as 
you know, it used to be two of us just standing here. Now it's five of us and we're hugging and saying, hey, good to see you again. Well, maybe we should move that to the social area while we're doing that and then come back out when we're ready to be quiet again. As I said, brilliant, brilliant uh, way to to look at it. I see you also address disruptive play scenes, and that's a touchy one indeed. One of my girls is, when she comes, it's loud. Mm-hmm. It's very loud. It's, it's, it's rattle the rafter. Right. And then we have whip scenes, and... And we got this delicate balance between people's triggers and people being able to enjoy their scenes. How do we juggle this? It's a definitely a moving target, and it's something that has caused problems in our dungeon for people who have had scenes sort of ruined or taken over by their neighbors next door, or that uh, they've been sort of hushed after a certain period of time. The thing is... It is a moving target. I will look out in this dungeon. If you're the only one playing at that time, I don't really care how loud you are. You're the player. The other people here are not part of your scene. You can be as disruptive as you as you want. But when you have a full dungeon full of people, there comes a time where your prerogative to have the kind of scene you want that's good for you, that's comfortable for you, can infringe on someone else's prerogative to have the kind of scene they want. So you would expect in a dungeon that there is plenty of slapping sounds and lots of ouches and begging, whatever it is. That Those are great sounds. I mean, if it didn't sound like that, it wouldn't be quite as hot for the rest <laughs> of us. And, and it wouldn't really feel like a dungeon space. So our um, dungeon monitors are just sort of looking for this. You know, if it's a prolonged thing, if if you're going to be doing a painful rope tie, for instance, and you keep them in that tie and it and it makes them, you know, and they're yelling at the top of their lungs for a significant period of time. Well, you've basically upstaged everybody else in the dungeon. And now whatever headspace they were in has been taken over by your yelling, which I understand it, it hurts. It probably needs yelling. But to make it good for everybody and that balance in the dungeon space. So I just have an ear, not for necessarily loud sounds, but um, unnecessary loudness or if it can be, if, if you can use a, a ball gag or you know mitigate that sound somehow, there's going to be lots of, you know, ouches and yelping, things like that. But over a sustained period of time, you are going to become a distraction for everybody else. And this this uh, sort of idea that that I was going to moderate people's scenes in the dungeons comes from people complaining. But I also remember a scene from way back where he was sort of the the head of one of the groups in the community, and he and his girl liked to play really hard to the point where he was chasing her around the dungeon. Oh my! With a buggy whip, as she was like crawling around things and. A- around everybody's scenes and i noticed that everybody that was playing was like looking up like what the hell is going on are they going to get in my space they're a little close to me right you know they were really using the dungeon you know in a way that i hadn't seen before and i gotta say i didn't like it i didn't think that it was very considerate um and maybe he felt like that was his prerogative being sort of one of the people that was putting on the party i understand that but i didn't want that to happen those things can happen. They can happen at home. They can happen in 
more controlled environments, but in an open dungeon that belongs to everybody at that time. You can't just take it over for yourself like that. It's a, it's a moving target. I mean, it depends on how many other people are at the party, how loud the music is, um, how long your sustained periods of yelling and screaming are, because if it's just for a short time, that's okay, you know, but if it's going to be a constant thing where nobody else in the dungeon can get into their headspace, our dungeon monitor will tell them to tamp it down a bit. I think the moving target is what everybody should take away from that. It's all dependent on the context of the environment at that moment. Mm-hmm. And for instance, um, if you're having a scene with a single tail and you're cracking your whip at somebody, I don't have any problem with that at all. It's a loud sound, and I understand, but it is part of your scene, and that's the toy you're choosing to play with, etc. But what I don't want is for somebody doing whip practice in the dungeon, snapping their whip because they like the way it sounds, you know, and because it impresses all the other people with their whip-cracking prowess. That's something that doesn't belong in an active dungeon, in my opinion. So I will tell somebody to say, that's not necessary right now, so put it away but if you're going to play with somebody and that's part of you know that's in your scene that's something that they can't do a whole lot about if they want to play with whips moving on uh and kind of segue here talk about monopolizing the the audio uh, of this base there's also the monopolizing the available equipment yes and that's another kind of moving target and a spatial awareness that some people just have a hard time developing, I think. Sure. And when you're in your scene, you know, you're in your space and time flies. You're sometimes unaware of just how long you've actually been using that piece of furniture or that space in the dungeon. And it's also a moving target because all the spaces are different. You know, if we have a 3,500 square foot space here. And some of that is designated as social area and registration area and bathrooms, you know. So when you cut it all down, I think we probably have more like 2,500 square feet for the actual play area. If we had twice that space and twice the furniture, it probably wouldn't be an issue because there's plenty of furniture and plenty of spaces for, for people to use. In a space like ours where everything's kind of in, in closer quarters and you know, you, you have to limit that. You can't let somebody take over a, a piece of furniture and just decide to sit there for two hours negotiating a scene, playing for an hour and a half, you know, and then having uh, another scene at that same piece of furniture. Meanwhile, somebody's waiting for that St. Andrew's Cross. And there may be other St. Andrew's Crosses in our dungeon space. There are, but they're all different and they're all in different parts of the dungeon. People might want that one for a very particular reason. And if they come to a party and you're pretty much using that space for two hours, I think that's inconsiderate. And one of the ones that people didn't realize is that, okay, I'm going to play with sub number one and we're going to have a scene for an hour and then they're going to get up and then sub number two is going to come over and then I'm going to play with them for an hour. And I'm fine with serial scenes like that, but the culture that we have about, you know, being aware Somebody might want to be using that, and you can have a scene within a certain amount of time that's good for everybody that still allows other people to have the kind of scene that they want. And it may not be a St. Andrew's Cross. It might be, uh, for instance, our spider web here. We have one, 
And if somebody is using it, well, then you can't use it. Just trying to be, be mindful of that. And I know that different scenes have different preparations. They have different um, factors in them. Rope scenes can sometimes last a little longer. But, you know, we have five hard points to do suspensions on. And as long as there's a free one there, they can sort of camp out and just kind of do their thing all night there. And I have to remind them that somebody might want to use that hard point. And rope people, their scenes can be multifaceted and involve multiple people, particularly if it's a a much sought-after rigor. Sure. And, you know, the culture is that, you know, we, we want you to be able to have the scene that you want. But if you're saying, I need these three hard points for my one scene, well, you probably want to talk to a, a dungeon monitor about that. Talk to them about it and see, can I do that? How long can I do that for? You know, and they might say, well, you can do that, but make it these three, you know, because this area is usually a little bit more busy or these are the hard points more people want to use or here are the considerations. Uh, I've had people bring in their own furniture just last week. They brought in their own furniture and said, this is the thing we like to play on. You know, is that fine? I said, that's cool, but we'll have to find a space that you can set that up. That isn't going to be in the middle of everything <laughs> that is that doesn't block access to some of the other pieces that we have in there. And they were very understanding the the dungeon monitor as a facilitator rather than just a, a heavy, you know, someone who comes and wags their finger at you or stops your scene or kicks you out. I'm a big fan of the dungeon monitor as the person you go to when you have a question. In this culture, they can be a very strategic key person in establishing this culture if they're out with the players and giving feedback and taking questions in advance and are open and receptive i think they can be Mm -hmm. a great source of setting the tone for the party sure i think it goes a long way you know because in, in the same way that people want to come in and have the kind of scene that they want with a particular person on a particular night we want to make that happen within the scope of what we can do. You know, if you're, if you are saying that you want to have a scene that takes up half the floor space, well, no, there's too many people here. If you want to arrange for that in the future, then you know, maybe we can accommodate that. And I will try to accommodate everything that I can. Well, it's not always possible without diminishing other people's experience in the space. Well, every scene comes to an end at some point. And then the aftercare and the scene cleanup begins. And I know locally we're struggling with aftercare because it is sometimes not very visible, not very apparent that that somebody is still recovering from the scene and the space is allowed, but they may be moved to another location. Aftercare and scene cleanup, what's your thoughts there? I, I say vacate the furniture as soon as possible. I, I understand that there is a process for coming down from a great scene. I understand that some people don't have all their facilities. <laughs> you know, they, uh, they can't speak very well. They're off balance. They're in a space, you know, they're not going to be running over and getting the cleaning supplies and wiping it off and, and walking away like nothing happened. Mean that we've done our job well, well, if they're in that shape. Right. I like to see that for sure. Uh, but there is a, there is a point, you know, so take, take some time to sort of get it, to get it back together and then vacate ASAP. And usually, 
you know, for me, that means we have, we have an aftercare area, an area that's specifically for this thing. So it's not like, hey, go back into the social area and deal with a whole bunch of people. We have a quiet area in the corner that people can do this in relative peace. Oh, wow. When I'm asking them to vacate a station in the dungeon, I'm saying, can you move over here, right? And all that really means is you don't need to clean your toys right there. You don't need to coil your rope right there. Um, you don't need to... Uh, have a cuddle and lay on a blanket and tell them that they did a nice job. That can all be done over here. But what I need you to do is get this stuff over into that area and then, you know, clean the, clean the area. Then you can take all the time you want to do over there in a non-play area. And that opens up the piece of furniture for the next person. I think it's, it's kind of like at the gas station, you know, when it's really busy at the gas station, you, you get done pumping your gas. But then you want to go inside and grab a snack or something like or use the bathroom or whatever. You pull your car away from the pump and go, you know, the, the considerate thing to do is get out of the way so somebody else can use that. So you go and grab a parking spot and then you go in and take your time doing the things that you want to do. When it's really busy like that, that's when it's most important. But even when it's not very busy, it can be a very considerate thing to do. And it's a good habit to get in for the busier times. Absolutely. Uh, it's actually a better area, in my opinion, for, for most people to do their aftercare. You know, we have a leather couch over there. We've got a, a big, fluffy, queen-size futon cushion to lay down on. We've got pillows. It's the quietest space in the dungeon. I think it's a better place to do that anyways. And it's we, we don't allow people to linger there either, you know, because other people want to use that space. So and we don't allow people to just hang out in the aftercare area because it's there for a specific reason and it works pretty well for us and i've never had anybody not been able to within the next 10 minutes to gather up their things and get out of the way for somebody else on their on the furniture they were playing on so i just think it's good practice i will be observing that a little more closely because aftercare has to say locally has become a problem it's spilling over in a social area and then somebody's in recovery space and you got a loud, boisterous conversation nearby, and you don't know who's coming out of the headspace and so forth, but your area is clearly defined, and if they're in that area, they're to be considered in aftercare. Yes, and, uh, you know, a a space, and it it doesn't have to be a very big space. It is nice if you have a sort of perimeter or, you know, we have a sign, and I'm hoping that that's good enough. I like this uh, step-down concept that you've got here, and I'm going to be looking at, I'm traveling a little bit, I'm going to be looking at some other place bases and see how they're doing it, and it may be something to be implemented. And I think that if you're, if an aftercare area is open to you, um, then if it's not open to you, then I understand why people would take their time around the furniture and so forth. There's no place to go, and you don't want to be thrust into a, an area of, heavy socializing and hanging out and stuff. You want some quiet time. And sometimes the only quiet time you can get is right where you were at that moment. So with the space that we have separate for that, I I want people to use it because it makes our dungeon run much more smoothly for everybody else. And smooth running dungeons are better for everybody. Uh, But sometimes there's little bumps and one of those bumps that, really can cause a lot of heartache and 
uh, hard feelings and so forth is the interruption of a scene. Yes. Well, when people come into this space and they've never been to a play party before, they've never, or they've never been in this space, you know, there are, I could point them to this article, you know, that I, this writing that I did, I could give them a list of rules and, and etiquette and so forth. But really interrupting scenes is the, the cardinal sin in any dungeon party that I'm doing anyways. I, I think most party producers probably feel that way that if you got everything else wrong that night, you know, you hogged the furniture a little bit, <laughs> you socialized in the dungeon area, etc. Those are things that can be forgiven, but interrupting scenes is the the one that they really have to not do. And and that's what I tell people, you know, that's where it starts. Don't touch anything that's not yours. Don't interrupt a scene that's going on. The rest you can usually actually kind of figure out by yourself just by watching everyone else. But that's not always apparent to people when they're coming in. Interrupt it, you know, this idea of a scene as being a a sacred place, like a a little sort of, um, what do they call it, a safe space, you know, an invisible boundary around it that shouldn't be penetrated. That's not always apparent to somebody who's watched a lot of porn or who has, for instance, hung out at swing clubs because they have a different idea about that. They have a different – there's a different etiquette in these different spaces or it never occurred to them because they wouldn't mind having their scene interrupted or because the majority of their play is at home where these are not concerns that they have to have. Or I'd like to propose a third it's something so subtle that nobody realizes it is a scene except the players that have set it up. Right. To look at these things with a, with an extra eye, you know, to, to consider before, especially when you're, if you're in the social area, uh, in, in our space, if you're in the social area, you're not going to be interrupting anything because scenes are not allowed in our social area. So if there is something going on, that you're interrupting, I'm fine with that. <laughs> Take it out to the dungeon if you're going to be having a scene. It can be difficult to discern what is a scene and what's not a scene. And one of the reasons why I wrote that, you know, not, not just interrupting scenes being a problem or something that you should be especially wary of that. I think that that rings true for just about any dungeon that you're going to walk into. But this idea of being able to or erring on the side of caution if you're not sure if somebody's in a scene for instance uh boot black that was something that one of our local boot blacks said it seems like the boot black station that we have over there for for shining boots people are not recognizing it as a scene area they're looking at it as either a social area and they don't mind coming up to them and saying, Hey, what kind of polish do you use? And oh, I've never seen this done before. Can you teach me how to do that? You know, a lot of conversation starters and, and things like that. And sometimes it is a scene that you are interrupting. It differs with different bootlegs. Sometimes it's not a scene. Sometimes they're, you know, somebody said, Hey, can you do my boots? They said, yeah, sure. Get up there. And then they polish them up and they tip their boot black and. On the way they went, there wasn't a big connective thing going on. There was, it wasn't a sensual experience. It was strictly getting boots shiny. That's fine. But if you don't know, you might want to just wait. You might want to stand back a little bit. I've also seen that with people who do self suspensions where they'll take over a hard point and they'll start doing a thing. And people assume because they're by themselves that they're not in a scene. And in fact, they are. 
it can be tough to to see you know to to discern if you're not used to it or if you haven't seen a wide variety of scenes going on in public dungeons before but always err on the side of caution if there's any glimmer of not being sure and i noticed you make a comment uh towards the uh scene players themselves about enforcing their boundaries and making their boundaries known and do you all have a special way to go about that or should we be putting signs out that this is actually a scene in progress in this space or a cone up or something and what's your approach to people identifying their scene space and how how far that goes around them good boundaries are best enforced by the individuals that a dungeon monitor can be there to either enforce them when they can't be enforced in your scene um, or they can sort of to back you up i guess if somebody isn't listening to the boundaries that you're putting out there it is much more effective if somebody can just without getting their feathers ruffled or without um you know causing a, a big stink to look up and say would you guys mind stepping back about four feet there? Yeah, thanks. Appreciate that. You know, that's really all it takes. And and if they take that approach, what I find is that's often met with, oh, geez, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize I was standing this close. I didn't even see you playing there. I was watching this other thing going on. It's usually just very simple, you know, ignorance or somebody being careless or not paying attention. So it doesn't have to turn into a big thing. If you're doing a scene and somebody wants to approach you, the dungeon monitor doesn't have any way of knowing whether that person was invited by you into the scene. So when I see, you know, I, I know a lot of these people and I know this person, for instance, they do self suspensions and they take some time at a party, you know, half an hour to do their thing. I know that there should be a bubble around them. And if somebody approaches them during that time, I will go and say, you know, you need to step back from this. But if I don't know you very well, and if you're doing something new, uh, we we had that happen a couple weeks ago, actually, uh, where I have to talk to the person afterwards, like, is it okay that that person was in the space? You know, is it okay that that person came in? Because I didn't know that you had negotiated that or not. It looked like you invited them. And it turned out not to be a problem. But you see where the dungeon monitor can't know these things. And they can't know where your boundaries are. So you're the best enforcer of your own boundaries. And, you know, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure that these things can be headed off in a, in a way that minimizes the, the negative impact that these actions can have on scenes and interpersonal relationships. Just keep the drama out of it. Say, you know, if, if I'm having a scene with somebody and someone uh, is talking too loudly, I can handle it a couple of different ways. Like if, if I just can't get it into my space because they're chattering over there, I can handle it a couple of different ways. I can ignore it and hope they go away. Um, and sometimes that works. Or I can go through my scene, you know, boiling up inside, getting pissed off at every word this person says. Or I can call the dungeon monitor over and say, could you remove these people? Or I could scream and shout at them once I've had enough of their chatter in my ear. I think the best way is to, you know, when it's starting to be an issue, just a soft word. Hey, guys, could you stop that? And I find that most people will comply with that. And if they don't, the DM would make them comply. And then everything, then you can go on having the scene that you want to have. 
Um, nobody has to be all butthurt about it. Nobody has to be, um, it doesn't have to be such a big deal. It was an honest mistake. It was something, you know, maybe, maybe a little bit bad manners, but if you just can speak up a little bit and tell them where your boundaries are, they'll usually observe that. All good common sense advice. And if people just stop and think a little bit and be aware of the space around them, both players and, and observers, things could go a whole lot smoother. I agree. And I, I feel that way, not just at dungeon parties that we do, but I also feel that way about etiquette in the community in general. If I'm a huggy kissy person in the community and I meet somebody and I don't know whether they're a huggy kissy person in the community, I might offer them a hug, but I don't know where their boundaries are because I don't know them very well yet. Do they even want to shake my hand? I I don't know, but I don't want to cross over that. If they're not going to enforce their boundaries, I can't know where those are. So it's always best when somebody can say, yeah, I'm not really into hugs. Thanks, though. You know, or would you mind not looming over me while I eat <laughs> at the munch? Yeah, <laughs> something, yeah. something to that effect. And I understand that people are non-confrontational and and really try to avoid those types of things at all costs. So they'll suffer through when they shouldn't have to, or that they, that might even ruin their experience. But I've found generally that when you tell people where the boundaries are, it might even be about privacy. When, when somebody says, you know, in a social area, Oh, what, what do you do for a living? If that's not something that you want to share because you feel like it's indiscreet or none of their business or would, would out you to somebody else in the room, you can just say, I'd rather not share that. And that's a very clear boundary that, nope, that's where it stops. You don't, you know, don't push any further than that, but there's no harm in asking. Communication skills are something I think many uh, people entering the scene can work work on. It. Even those of us in the scene for decades, such as ourselves, can always fine tune our communication skills and and find better ways. That that's part of the culture, and part of, part of that culture, um, for instance, in this dungeon, I want to make it okay for people to ask to play. I don't ever want that to be problematic where people frown on that like you have no business asking me to play you know understanding that everybody in this dungeon space has different requirements for people that they'll play with some people won't play in public at all some people just got here and they're not really sure what they're what they're into or what their thing is it is okay to ask but at the same time if it's going to be okay to ask it has to also be okay to say no and for the no to be as simple as that Yes, yes, absolutely. And it needs to be final. But I think the most important part of this is that it also doesn't require any kind of explanation. I don't need a reason why I'm saying no. I have my reasons. You're not entitled to them. You know, those are those are good boundaries and good communication skills. So when somebody says, you know, would would you like to go have a scene with me? No, thank you has to work. Otherwise, Nobody wants to ask and nobody wants to be around because they're worried that somebody's going to ask them to play and they're not going to like their reason why not. And then they're going to make them feel stupid about it. And not just in a dungeon setting, but in the community in general. Hey, would you like to go out on a date with me? No, thank you. And, and that's where it needs to stop. Accurate. We need to get away from no means yes philosophy 
which was the coy thing, you know, was to say no six times and keep on coming back asking till you find till you say yes. That's that's not the way it should work. You should be clear in your statements and not um, be playing a game with a person. No, I, I agree that if it it helps a great deal in the social arena of the munches when we're sort of putting forth the virtues of good boundaries and enforcing your own good boundaries um, and a culture of consent. I think it, it, it helps everything when people can be straightforward. I mean, I know it's some people's kink is to be coy and to flirt that way and to sort of um, deny and deprive. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing and nobody should do that, but I am saying it is counterintuitive to the rest of the, to the culture that I would like to see in our communities. And it opens a door to miscommunications, which is what we're trying to close the door to. Right. Well, Michael, you have given us a lot of to think about today. Well, thanks for having me. Is there anything else you'd like to add? No, I, I appreciate the opportunity to, to be on your broadcast. And uh, I'll be I'll be listening. Of course, like I said, my, my voice doesn't sound to me like it sounds to everybody else. So I think it's going to be a little weird. I think it's going to sound wonderful on on the tape. Uh, our equipment does very good at getting what is heard is what goes goes into the tape. So I think we have a good podcast here. Well, thanks very much for having me. All right. Thank you. Have a good day. Well, uh, listeners, we've been talking to Mr. Michael out of Louisville about uh, dungeon etiquette and culture. Please share this podcast with those that are new to the scene. Thank you. You have been listening to episode 154 of the Kinky Cast. For more information about this show, go to kinkycast.com. The Kinky Cast is a production of Rooster in the Round. On behalf of all our kinky crew, I'm Max. See you next week when we bring you Sarah Olivia on Polly 202 Advanced Relationships. Thank you.